Hey, I'm going to be reading from the book of Ephesians. We're continuing our study, and we're coming to the end of the first half of the book. And I'm going to be reading for, from chapter 14 to 21. It's, it's a shorter group of verses, and um, in essence, this is a prayer. And we're going to take a look at uh, Paul's prayer for these Ephesians. So if you've got your handout, again, I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 3. If you want to read from your Bible, you can certainly do that as well. And um, let's, uh, let's go there right now. For this reason, I bow before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen indeed. This is God's Word. I pray that we would hear it and live. For every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Will you pray with me? Lord, we need You tonight, no matter where we come from, no matter who we are, If we're honest, we all come here tonight as desperate men and women, needy of the grace of Jesus. Would you free us to be needy, Lord? Would you free us to be able to acknowledge that tonight? I need you to be able to speak. I pray that you would be with my body and my soul as I try to teach on this. I pray that you would be with my friends, that you would enliven us for the next 25 minutes or so. And that you would encourage us with your word. Lord, indeed, you have the words of life. No man does, but you alone. And so we pray that you would speak those words and that they would become life to us. And we ask this for Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would have known me as a junior in high school, um, you would have known that uh, my first car was a 1972 Mercedes-Benz. It was black. It was a diesel, and it was weird. Not dumb. It wasn't a dumb car, and I wasn't dumb because of it. I'm just saying that like people thought, who drives a Mercedes-Benz that's a diesel? Now, um, it, was, it had a lot of neat little fun things about it. The, the most fun was that um, down by the, my left foot, it wasn't a clutch, but down by my left foot was the windshield wiper blades. So if you stepped on that, that's what made the fluid come out and make the wipers go like that. So if you ever were in that, you know, mist and you didn't want to like turn your wipers on, you could just pump it with your left foot and that's what made things go. So it was pretty fun. But there was also some really, really crappy things about this car too. Not the least of which was it was a pull start. So you turned the key in the on position and had to pull a choke on it to get it to go like it was an old tractor. And it fired up like a tractor. It was just a mess because it was diesel, it just went really slow up a lot of hills. And so, like, I could have taken a nap on some of the hills that I was going up as it was so slow. But the worst thing about this dadgum car was this. 
the gas gauge. The gas gauge had a little needle on it that was not electronic at all. And once your tank kind of got anywhere between like three quarters full and full, it began to just flutter down by empty. And you never really ever knew how much gas you had in the tank. Now, I had to learn this the hard way several times by actually running out of diesel fuel and having to be on the side of the road. It was just the easiest thing to find. But I do remember learning after a while that the way that you had to estimate how much gas you had in the tank was by looking at your tripometer and knowing how many miles you had. I don't remember how many it was, but that's how I had to know. Now, why in the world would I share something like that? I want to tell you that with me looking at that gauge, wondering how much gas I really had in the tank, it left me with no confidence in my car. I felt like no matter where I was, I could never really trust that car because the gauge itself did not work. No matter how much I had in the tank, there was always an internal unrest in me because I knew that the gauge was broken. Now, as you can imagine, this was very troubling. And I want to tell you today that Paul is saying something that's very, very similar. He wants you to know that you and me and the rest of us, that most of the time that we experience a lack of confidence in who we really are and what we really have in Christ. The tank is full of resources, Paul is saying. But you and me have very little confidence because our eyes are on the gauge that is broken. We need to look into the tank to see how much fuel there really is. You're getting the metaphor by now, I hope. Here's the main thing. Paul is saying that for you and me to have any sort of confidence in our Christian calling, we have to know the resources in our tank. We have to know what already belongs to us. Why is Paul telling us this at this point in Ephesians? Well, we're at the end of chapter 3. And he wants you to know that coming on in chapter 4, he's making a shift. He spent the first half of Ephesians telling us about who we are and what we have in Jesus. That is known as the indicatives of the Gospel. It's what's true about you. And next week, he begins the back half of this letter and he's going to begin telling you and me the imperatives of the Gospel. How to live out the Christian life. And he knows that for you and for me, that the back half of his letter is going to be absolutely impossible if we don't realize and understand the first half of the letter. What he is saying is this, that it is impossible to live out the Christian life without you knowing the resources that you truly have. In other words, you must know whose you are and what you have if you're ever going to live out the Christian life. And so Paul, because of that, he prays. Because there's no way that you're ever going to see that apart from the work of God Himself. He wants us to know three things in particular. First, He's going to show us 
what He wants us to know. Secondly, He's going to show us how He wants us to know about it. And then thirdly, why He wants us to know about it. What He wants us to know, how He wants us to know it. Well, look at that because I bet that's confusing. And why He wants us to know about them. Look with me at verse 17 through 19. He says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ. If you read this prayer, I want you to notice something. Paul does not pray that these people would be bolstered to be able to go through suffering. Nor does Paul pray that you might find the man of your dreams. Or that you would find the woman that you're supposed to marry. Or that you would get the best job that you possibly could. Rather, he begins to pray about internal realities. Do you see that? That's what this text is about. I'll put more of a point on it. Paul is praying for you and me to know things about the inside of our hearts. That's why he says, look with me, at the inner being. Now we're going to come back to that. But what it is that he wants us to know is that he wants us to know the incredible Beautiful, expansive love that Christ has for you. That is what He wants you to know. How big is it? Paul says it surpasses all understanding. You can't comprehend it, he says. It's so long. It's so broad. It's so deep and so high. Your mind, you cannot get around it how much He possibly loves you. Think of it this way. You go to the ocean. You go there as a thirsty man or woman. The ocean has no salt in it for the sake of the illustration. You dip your toes in. You reach your pocket in in the midst of this incredible thirst that no man or woman has ever had before. Your mouth is parched. You have cotton mouth. You stick the the little thimble down into the water and you pull up that thimble size cup of water and you take it in and like you've never had your thirst slaked before it's like the best water that you've ever tasted in your entire life and you're certain you don't ever need to drink again And it was just a thimble. Y'all, that is exactly what Paul is trying to get across here. That at your best, you have tasted a thimble-sized amount of God's love for you. Even now, as you look out at the vast, vast, vast ocean that it truly is. Do you understand that? Do you see what I'm getting at? Paul wants you to know that sort of love is what is toward you. And you can scarce take it in because it tastes so good. 
That's what He wants you to know. Look, I want you to know this tonight if you are not a Christian. I never assume that everybody here is a Christian. I just never do it. But I want you to know this, that the only thing that is ever going to bring you to Christ is for you to see that God loves you in spite of your sin in the person of Jesus. That no matter what your rebellion is, He is offering mercy in Christ. That no matter how foul and depraved you are in your heart, God looks at you in the person of Jesus and offers full redemption, full forgiveness. The song says that He makes the foulest clean. That's how far God's love goes for you. Look, if you're having a stirring in your life and heart in this season that you might be interested in knowing about this love of Christ, it is because God Himself is already fastly pursuing you. You do not come to a knowledge of Jesus apart from Him first knowing you. And I'm here to tell you that if that's after, if you are after that tonight, it is because a whole ocean of love and mercy and kindness and compassion is already hot on your trail. As somebody smarter than me said, the hound of heaven, the hound of heaven is on to your trail. And in His wild mercy, He's coming after you. And that means if you're a Christian or a non-Christian today. And that's really, really good news. What is it He wants you to know? The love and mercy of the Son. Secondly, how in the world does He want you to know it? How we need to know, Paul is saying. Well, the point here that Paul wants to highlight is that he wants us in verse 16 to be strengthened and fortified at our deepest level. You say deepest level. Ryan, what are you talking about? Look with me. You see that phrase right there that says your inner being? That is a synonym for the heart. And when the Bible uses the word heart, it does not mean emotion. Does that make sense? Like when we think of the word heart, we think of the word emotion. And when the Bible uses the word heart, it means something far more broad. It means the whole center of our being. The very seat of our personhood is what it means. And it encompasses our intellect, our will, and our emotions. And what Paul is saying is, is that he wants you to know that sort of love that we just talked about at that level. Do y'all see what I'm saying? Here's what I mean. Y'all know that there are two different types or two main types of what it means to know something. There is the merely cognitive and intellectual type of thing where, for example, you know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. You know that. That's what I'm just calling like a cognitive knowledge of something. But then there's the second knowledge. And it's often called an experiential knowledge. It's the sort of knowledge that when you go somewhere like the beach, you're moved. And you remember the beach for the rest of your life. It's like when you go to the mountains and you go, whoa, whoa. Like, I know that I'm sitting here in this moment and that mountain is more than granite. 
It's, it does something to me. It's an experiential sort of knowledge. Listen to what one, ilus- one illustration that a pastor from the 1730s, a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards, used. This is an idea that he wrote about. He's talking about two types of knowledge. One of them, he uses the language of notional, notional knowledge, which he's talking about what I'm talking about with cognitive, intellectual stuff. It's the brainy side of things. And then he says it's the sort of knowledge that's actually a sense of something on the heart. Listen. There is a twofold knowledge of good of which God has made the mind of men capable. The first, which is merely notional, and the other, which consists in the sense of the heart, as when the heart is sensible of pleasure and delight in the presence of something. In the former, it is exercised merely the understanding or the distinction of of it, as opposed to the disposition of the soul. He goes on to say this, there is a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. A man may have the former that knows nothing about how honey tastes, but a man cannot have the latter unless he has an idea of the fact that the taste of honey in his mind. What is he saying? Let me break it down. You can know honey is sweet all day long because somebody has told you that it's sweet. Does that make sense? It's another type of knowledge altogether to put honey on your tongue and to taste the sweetness of that tongue, of that honey, I mean. And the difference in that two type of knowledge is one is on the surface and the one goes down deep into your being. And that's what Paul wants you to know about the love of God. That it goes way down deep. That's what he's praying for. That's what he is praying for in your inner being when he says that. Does that make sense? Let me ask this like very simply. Has your knowledge of God's love for you, if you are a Christian, gone down into the depths of your being such that it actually moves you and it reorients your life? Has it? That's what it, like, does it move you? Does it shake you? Or is it just a cognitive knowledge of something? That Jesus has died for my sin, that's great and all, no big deal. No. No. Paul's praying that you and me in our thick-headed skulls, that that would get to the level of our hearts. Why? Because he knows that unless it does, you and me don't have the resources to be able to go live out the Christian life. It just doesn't work. I talked about this in our ministry team meeting. That the way that what you believe always dictates your practice, how you live out your life. It always, always does. I'm going to take a shot at that in just a second, but I just want to highlight it right now. Thirdly, the last point I want to make tonight. He wants you to see why. Why it is. And this is what we just touched on. Why it is or why we need to know. Verses 20-21. to 21, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work with us, within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul wants you to know two primary things. First of all, 
Why does He want you to know? He wants you to know this because He's about to make a shift in His thinking. And He knows that unless you know these things, you will not be able to handle what's coming up. What's coming up? Ready? Speak the truth in love. 4.15 Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5.25 Fathers, do not provoke your children. Ephesians 6.1 Put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6.11 And the list goes on and on and on. And y'all, the fact that he writes like this to tell us that about the way Paul believes the heart to function. It is this. We will always live out of what we believe about who we are. Always. Always. Think about it like this. I used the same illustration this weekend. If you love TCU football, belief, you shape your Saturdays around that belief. You don't go to the library. You say no to your friends, you don't study, you don't work, because you believe that TCU football is the most important thing on Saturday. Does that make sense? What you believe will always dictate your life. Always. And you can actually examine what you believe by examining your life. Now, I'm not going to go there tonight, I'm going to take it easy. (laughs) Because the reality is that all of us examine our lives... It puts, us with a, it puts us in a no-crap moment. Because it's really going to give you a gut check. Every single one of you. Because you're going to examine your life, and if you're honest, it's going to expose what you really believe about God. There's no other way around it, Paul says. But there's a second reason why. And it is this. Paul wants you to know by this blessing that he says in verse 20, that the ultimate point of your Christian life is not you. It is the glory and the renown of God. Period. And some of y'all need to hear me say this, that the Christian life is not about you and God. It's not. I know, I'm that egocentric too. I'm that arrogant to think that the Bible is all about me. Are you like that? Do you read it like that? All this is just about me, you know. Thank God God saved me, you know. Thank God God saved you because God has a way to bring glory to His name through Him saving you. And that God is working everything for His own purposes and His own glory. And that includes saving folks like you and me. That includes that. How would this be so important? Think about it like this. Let's say there's two people listening to Bach. The first listens to Johann Sebastian Bach often and in private and in public. He may be even a composer himself. But if you look at why this first person listens to Bach, it's to impress other people. He does not listen to Bach because he actually enjoys Bach in and of itself, but so that when he's at a party, he may be able to talk about Bach and his, you know, whatever symphony and so on and so forth. Does that make sense? Second person listens to Bach for the sheer pleasure of enjoying Bach's music. Radically different reasons. 
I'm here to tell you that Paul is saying this, that your main goal, the, your end, your chief end as a human being is to enjoy and delight in God for God. And if I were to ask you to examine your lives and ask you why you're a Christian, it wouldn't take long before the list began to look something like this. Because I feel like I need to be a good person. Or I got in trouble one time. And I promised God that if I began to follow Him, then maybe He would get me out of trouble. Or I'm really, really longing for a great husband one day. So I'm going to go after God. And really what we do, y'all look, I do that. I do that. All of us do. The point is, is very simply that when we do that, we're using God. We're not going after God for the sake of God. And Paul is saying that when we begin to live out these things, the love of Christ in our hearts, we begin to know it deep like that, that the ultimate goal is that we would know and enjoy that love and we express it back out of ourselves in praise, in wonder, giving thanks to who He is, speaking praises about who God is and His person and what He's done for us. And the world looks at that and is changed. They're utterly changed. I'll close with this. I just want to ask you, is this what you need prayer for? Because the reality is, Paul is praying for it. He is saying that what you believe really matters and that the way that you believe it must go deeper than skin deep. But when it does, it begins to alter the fundamental spiritual DNA of your life and you begin to have on offer to you a radical, a radically different life. What you believe, yes, your doctrine is what is going to dictate your practice and the way that you live out your life. There's a story that goes like this. A poor beggar was sat down to a meal and it consisted of only water and bread. He sits down at the table and he says, all of this and Christ too? All of this and Christ too? Do you look at Jesus like that? Is He the supreme delight of your heart? Paul is saying, the Christian life will be impossible for you if you don't. And the degree that you begin to see the beauty and majesty of what Christ has done for you, you are able to live out the gospel in your life. I know that sounds hard. That's why we need each other, y'all. I need you as much as you need me. Let's lock arms together. Let's try to live this life out together. We need each other. Will you pray with me? God, thank You for this Word. I pray that You would make it stick in our hearts. I pray that You would do this for Your glory's sake. And it's in Your name that we pray. Amen.